Hello everyone, welcome back. Trying something a little different today. Um, I probably should have thought that through because I also upload this into an audio format. So I will try and keep the emphasis on the pictures to a minimum for those of you who are listening on an audio format later on. Um, I'm gonna be drawing some stuff on a whiteboard but you'll still be able to follow what I'm talking about. Uh, it's really just more for me to help kind of process or articulate like what I'm saying, what I'm thinking, than it is like super necessary. Um, this all, I mean, honestly, also, this is kind of one of those things, you know, sometimes like filmmakers or artists or whatever, they say, well, this, this movie or this thing, whatever, this was more for me than it was for the audience. Um, this is one of those things that's more for me, this, this video. Um, but I think it'll be useful, hopefully, for you. But this is largely me just trying to get some thoughts out there so that I don't actually lose my mind because I feel like I'm pretty close to actually losing my mind. Um, so maybe we can power through this together. You know what's funny is my last video I did was like an impromptu rant a little bit about um, like how some conservative commentators were handling their... I guess commentary or their coverage of like the coronavirus like task force press briefings and stuff and one of the thoughts that I had about it and I can't remember if I said it in the video or if it was in something I wrote about was like these guys need to stop just like having full-scale like meltdowns and panic attacks like every day on their show because it's counterproductive it's not helping anything and what's my next video me basically trying not to have a full-scale panic attack and uh meltdown on my podcast so that's a little bit of irony i suppose but so the what i named this in the live stream uh, at least was i was wrong and what i was wrong about this is what i've been thinking about for a few weeks is kind of my assessment of this idea i call the watchman principle and we'll kind of talk about what that is here in a second but i don't think i was wrong about the fundamental idea but I was wrong about one component of it, and I was, I think, also wrong about kind of some of our social trajectory stuff. And so, but we'll get into that. But so first, to kind of explain what this Watchmen principle is, is I named it after the movie Watchmen, which is a really great movie by Zack Snyder, I think he did it, um, back in early 2000, 2006 maybe. And it's super good. And so what the premise of the film is, spoiler alert, sorry, not sorry, but is the Cold War is still happening, and so the U.S. and the Soviet Union are just, you know, really close to nuclear Armageddon, and there's this clock, it's called the Doomsday Clock, in the film, and it's constantly ticking, getting closer to midnight, and what midnight represents is, like, full-scale, like, nuclear holocaust. Like, it's how close the U.S. and the Soviet Union are to mutually assured destruction. And it keeps getting closer and closer to midnight. And the movie has, like, vigilantes and, you know, there's these kind of heroes and stuff in it. But there's only one person in it that has any actual powers. But he's, like, crazy powerful. And his name is Dr. Manhattan. I promise I promise this is going to make sense. I realize, I'm like, okay, this is probably sounding like whenever a kid, like, just comes up to you and just starts talking to you. And you're like, I've, like we've been in this conversation this whole time because I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I feel like I just entered a conversation that we've been having for 20 minutes. Uh, but I promise this is going to make sense. So basically, the whole point is, U.S., the Soviet Union are about to go to nuclear war, and this, the antagonist of the film 
manages to copy the energy signature of the only superhero in the whole movie and makes all these bombs, basically, and puts them all over the world, a lot in the U.S. and a lot in the Soviet Union. And right before the United States and Russia go to, like, nuclear holocaust, the antagonist detonates all these bombs. And the whole thing he says at the end of the movie is, this is the only way to save the world. Like, one of the other heroes is like, you've killed millions. And the antagonist says, to save billions. And he puts on the news and it shows about how the U.S. and the Soviet Union are now going to you know, work together to fight Dr. Manhattan. And even the main hero guy, Dr. Manhattan, he agrees. He's like, okay, I guess I'll go live on Mars. Um, because he's like, this actually makes sense. So anyway, so that's the, the premise. And so why I call it the Watchman Principle is basically that there can, you can get to a point where there are two sides that are so divided, so separated, that only something, like, only two things can bring them together. A massive, massive uh, exercise of force or a massively destabilizing event. And so to kind of put it in physical terms so that you know what I'm talking about, like, we, know, we can uh, observe this in the physical world. So if you have, like, a ditch, a ditch right here, right, and you got a little bit of water, like, you can just jump over that ditch, right? Like, or you can step over the ditch. Like, it doesn't take a lot of energy or effort to cross a ditch, all right? Um, if you have a river, let's say you got a river, you know, it's a little bit bigger, but you can build a bridge um, with minimal effort, right? Like, it, it takes energy, it, it takes resources, but you can do that. You can, you can create a bridge between these two sides, all right? And so on and so forth. And the, the whole point is, is that the larger the divide between two entities, the more is required to bring them together in some way. And you reach a point that I call the Watchman Threshold where only a massively destabilizing event or a massive show of force will bring those sides together because they won't organically come together otherwise. So here's two examples of what I mean by like the force and the destabilizing, just practically. So if we have the Earth and we have the Moon, those are not going to come into contact organically, right? They're just not. But we can expend a lot of force in the form of the space program and spend a lot of money, a lot of government force, and we can send someone to the moon and we can inorganically bridge that gap between the Earth and the moon with a lot of force. Same with like Mars, right? Like even more force is required, but we've sent rovers to Mars. It's just, it doesn't happen organically and it won't happen organically. Um, so that would be like the a, a physical representation of the force part. Um, whenever it comes to the destabilizing, right? Let's say you have a canyon, and it's like the the widest canyon you could imagine. This is miles, miles and miles and miles, you know, separated. Now those two sides are not going to organically come together, and you could build like some crazy super bridge between them, right? Um, but something really destabilizing could happen and could bring the sides together, right? So let's say there's like an earthquake or some explosion. I'll use that marker anyway. Or some explosion. And the two sides, I guess, would effectively be brought together uh, in the form of rubble. But they would be brought together, but it would be completely unrecognizable afterwards. 
but it would work, right? Like they would ostensibly be brought together. And so that's what I mean. And we can talk about this in relational terms also, right? So in marriage, whenever people get divorced, what's one of those most commonly cited causes? Irreconcilable differences. That's just another way of saying, I'm here, you're here, and the difference between us, the gap, the chasm, is so big that we're not going to come together organically. And so they're, they're irreconcilable. And so we know that this happens relationally as well, right? Um, and so my point is merely that I think that you could extrapolate that out on a societal level and say that you can reach a point societally between you know, generally the two sides that we would say ideologically, which historically were like, you know, the left and the right, where the, it becomes irreconcilable. Like where only a massively destabilizing event or a tremendous show of force would bring them together. So a tremendous show of force would be like if we got taken over by another country and we had to work together or we just got ruled by some crazy dictatorship, like we would be brought together, you know, under martial law or something, but that would effectively bring us together. Or if, you know, I thought this global pandemic, that type of thing would bring, that'd be a massively destabilizing event. Like you would think that a global pandemic and economic collapse would qualify as a massively destabilizing event. And I think it does, but it hasn't brought us together, right? And historically, people have, you know, kind of thought of it as the left and the right. But I think that what we're learning now is that it's really not left and right that are kind of the main two sides, that it's really more like libertarian and authoritarian. And there are people on the philosophical, ideological left over here on the libertarian side, and there are people on the philosophical, ideological right over here on the uh, authoritarian side, and vice versa. So there's left and right over here, left and right over here. But anyway, I, I think those are the two sides. And so there's this, the, the thing that I have been talking about for a little while now, when, and the reason why I talk about this and what I was wrong about, uh, well, actually, I won't get to the wrong part, but I'll tell you, like, the last time I was really thinking about this, um, this idea of what I call, like, is the watchman threshold, which is the point where you're there. We're, like, basically where once, let's say, your, your chasm is widening, right? So you were separated this much, and the two sides are diverging so much that you might get to a point where you've diverged enough where you're at the point of no return, where that's the threshold where only on this other side where will those crazy things are gonna bring you together. And so what I've been talking about is, if you say this is the threshold, the watchman threshold, is I've been asking the question of, are we heading that direction? Are we there already? What's the trajectory of our society? Are we on the other side? Like, are we here? Are we way off the map, like up here? I don't know. And the last time I was really thinking about it, I think the name of the video was Canaries in the Coal Mine, um, about how kindness is no longer kind or something like that, was whenever Ellen DeGeneres got totally eviscerated for um, whenever she like sat next to George W. Bush at a football game 
and she did this monologue on her show and she said, when I say be nice to people, I mean be nice to everyone, not just the people you agree with. I mean be nice to everyone. And she got destroyed in all corners of the media for saying that, you know? And that's something that, like, in a vacuum, that's something that would be on a list of, if someone said, okay, hey, I have a list of things that I think we should teach our kids. What do you think about this list? And be nice to people, even those you disagree with is on the list. Like, pretty much everyone's going to check the box and say, yeah, I think that's that's a good thing. But for saying that, she was completely eviscerated, like, up and down. Because George W. Bush was, he's, no, 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 you can't be nice to him. And that was a point where I said, okay, I think, like, I don't know where we are, but th the trajectory seems like we're heading to this watchman threshold. Like, this point of no return. And so, I've been... Because I, I look at, like, societal norms. Like, what are we... Like, there's lots of, like, things kind of floating around up here. Like, impeachment stuff or um, just, like, media coverage of different things. But I, but really, I want to look at, like, what are we generally saying okay to as a society as just, like, our our norms of our, our standards for how we would talk to each other. And so that's why that Ellen thing was, like, a bunch of red flags for me. And I'm like, okay, there's dead canaries right now representing, like, whenever the idea of being kind to people is controversial, then that represents a new stage. And so the question I've been asking for, I mean, the better part of a year is what's our societal trajectory and how do we know? Like, how, how can we know where we are? Um... And I think that Ellen thing was one of those things. And so, like, we don't necessarily have to know where we are if we can at least gauge our trajectory. Like, so, for example, if I wanted to hit the Pacific Ocean and I just started walking in a direction from where I am right now, um, I don't necessarily need to know exactly where I am on a map as long as I know I'm heading west. Because if I walk west long enough... I will, I will hit the Pacific Ocean. I know that will be my destination as long as I know my trajectory is west. So we don't necessarily have to know where we are on this path as like in terms of like societal unity is really what I'm talking about here. Um, if we can gauge our trajectory. And so again, specifically, I'm not talking about agreement. All right. I'm talking about the ability to even agree to disagree. And getting to a point where we can't even do that. I'm talking about being able to have mutual respect and extend charity and common humanity to people that we disagree with, but still be able to live alongside each other. That's what I'm talking about, is where are we in our ability to coexist with ideological opponents? Um, are we to the point of irreconcilable differences? And so... I don't know if we're across it, but I think we're approaching it at the very least. I think there's a good chance we're across it. And so that kind of leads me to th this video and what I'm talking about here. So <clears throat> there is two things and, and what I was wrong about. Okay. Uh, did I mention that this isn't scripted? It's that I didn't script. I didn't write anything out. I'm just doing this. Um, so what I was wrong about whenever it comes to this pandemic and everything and with the Watchman principle is... is I thought that destabilizing it just had to be something that really upends things, would force people together, right? But what I 
neglected to factor in is they have to actually be forced together, right? So think about like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or something like that. Whenever someone joins the army and now all of a sudden they are next to someone who at boot camp and then in combat that they're depending on, that they have to go through stuff together and realize the common humanity of this person, even if they don't agree on everything, and see them as their equal and have that mutual respect, right? They have to physically be dependent on each other, at least in a way that they are, are that's tangible for them, right? And so, like, that, like again, think about like 9-11, like someone literally sifting through the rubble of the World Trade Center next to another person and working together to do that you know, it, whether they agree on stuff doesn't really matter. They're working together for like a common goal right there. And so like I was thinking about, um, I watched Remember the Titans not that long ago and like how, that's a great movie, by the way. Uh, I forgot like how awesome that movie is, but what's cool is, you know, when Denzel Washington takes them to their football camp, he pairs, uh, the white players and the black players together in pairs. So they physically have to be together depend on each other and see that they're not so different. Like that they, that, you know, they're just people and they ha but they were forced to do that. So my, what I was wrong about was I thought something super destabilizing would just organically force people to work together. But here is the problem. What's it look like for us to do our part for coronavirus? Like, what's it look like? Stay home, hunker down, isolate, right? That's what it looks like. Nothing is physically forcing us to work together. Like right when this started, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be it. This is going to be people coming together. Yes. Like, I don't like that there's a pandemic, but I like that there might be something that turns the dial down on the temperature of just how divided we are. But then I'm seeing headline after headline after headline that are the opposite. That's just continuing to stoke the divisiveness in the country. I mean, I mean, this was happening for weeks, but here's an example. So I, the, the lead headline on Huffington Post today is President Trump doesn't care if you die. That was the lead headline. Like, go to HuffingtonPost.com. That's the thing that you see is a picture of the president and President Trump doesn't care if you die or not. Like, that's crazy, crazy, crazy. And there's a lot of things like that. Like there is, you know, the media blaming some woman and her husband eating fishbowl cleaner on Donald Trump, like stuff like that. And so I was like, what is happening? Why, why are we not unifying here? This should be the thing that unifies us. But it, we weren't forced together. We were forced indoors. And what do people do indoors? They isolate. They spend all this time on the computer. I just gestured to my computer, by the way. And so... Like, I wrote about this, uh, I think, earlier this week. I don't know. I have no concept of time or space at all anymore. But I wrote about, like, how, like, we were already in self-quarantine before our self-quarantine started. And all the, the data is all there. I'll put a link to it um, in, in the description of this. But people have been, since quarantine started, I think between Gen Z and millennials, it's been an over 50% increase in just scrolling through social media and something like close to 30% increase in posting on social media. And social media has already been something that people have been curating towards their own biases. 
and like unfriending people that they disagree with and algorithms like increasingly push them towards things that they agree with and that they already believe so they're already being forced into echo chambers and creating their own echo chambers as well um and so this quarantine has forced this kind of accelerated that and so that's that's the thing that i was wrong about is i didn't think about how everyone doing their part has just meant going in and spending more time on twitter that's never a good thing for anyone ever like no same with facebook they're going in and spending more time on facebook not a good thing no 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 but that's what's been happening and so we've continued in spite of being in the middle of a global pandemic where you would think that this is the moment for this generation right now to come together and say we are not enemies we are in this together but why it's only further widened and so that's what i was wrong about but the stuff with the pandemic i'd already been thinking about like i had a whole document of like what is happening with the media this is pure cancer they are just spewing cancer out into the airwaves and into the online space with these uh, articles and with their coverage of stuff and so i was already just totally fighting just apathy and despair generally but then the stuff with joe biden has been happening for the last couple of weeks and that's that's kind of the the thing that like why i'm making this video and what's really got me a little frustrated um, and I wrote a piece, uh, this was like, I think two days ago about, um, the way, the reactions to the allegations against Joe Biden and how completely like morally bankrupt they have been. Um, and I thought writing that piece would be like, okay, this is, this is my catharsis. I can just put this out there and then I'll feel better. And then the last two days have consisted of even more of that and so i'm kind of just needing to put my thoughts out there now with you guys via video form so that i don't lose my mind um <clears throat> but here's what i'm talking about so what i'll say on the front end is i don't i don't necessarily have an opinion either way on whether or not i think this happened with joe biden okay i don't um i think it's worth investigating but like i'm not really convinced either way. I don't know what to think. All right. I just, I just don't. Um, but here has been the reactions. Okay. From what I'll say is the mainstream left and the mainstream media and like establishment Democrats. Okay. So here's the, here's the two reactions. Okay. And they're, they're kind of chronological to be honest, <clears throat> but some of them, they kind of intermingle. So the first one, was to ignore and dismiss, right? So this is Nancy Pelosi. This is Elizabeth Warren. This is Stacey Abrams. I don't know why her opinion matters because she's not going to be vice president. But this has been a lot of the establishment Democrats who have said, yeah, uh, he said it didn't happen. So that's good enough for me. I mean, that's literally like what Nancy Pelosi, Elizabeth Warren said that's this is uh bernie sanders okay um which is pretty disappointing but it was to ignore and dismiss and the mainstream media mostly did this part was to just totally ignore it right i think it was after five or six weeks since she like put the allegation out there you uh could do a search on cnn's website for her name and there was zero 
uh, hits on it. And if you search for Christine Blasey Ford, there was like over 600. Um, and this is like five or six weeks after the allegation was made. So the mainstream media largely ignored it, okay? And that's hypocritical. That is garbage. Um, and that's what's happening still, like with a lot of the mainstream like politicians, DNC. But then there's this other perspective uh, that is terrifying to me personally. Um, and that's what I kind of want to talk about here. And that is to say it doesn't matter if he did it or not. I don't care. Or maybe I even believe. Maybe I even believe Terry. But it doesn't matter because Trump is worse. This is morally bankrupt to the maximum capacity. But this perspective is being mainstreamed on a scale that should scare the absolute hell out of you. So what are some examples? So again, I wrote about this in my piece uh, just a few days ago. I'll link it to. Um, but just a few examples. Th this is um, this perspective has been mainstreamed by virtually every major news organization and by lots of people on the left. Um, but so Huffington Post did an article before Joe, Bar Joe Biden had said anything about it. And uh, the article said, look, there's three options for Democrats. The first one is to believe Tara Reid, but that might hurt Joe, hurt Joe Biden's candidacy. And that would be unacceptable. Um, the other option would be to dismiss it, but then we'd look hypocritical. And then they quoted this Democrat staffer who said, you know, it sucks. We can't just say, I believe Tara Reid, but I'm going to vote for Joe Biden anyway, because it's the only morally defensible thing. Um, so they're, I mean, that, that's what they said is even if I believe that Joe Biden molested this girl, the only morally defensible position is to vote for him anyway. Why? Because Trump is worse. Um, another example. So N NBC had a opinion piece written by a sexual assault survivor who it said, uh, we deserve better than Joe Biden. And she gives this whole litany of all the reasons why Joe Biden is a horrible candidate and then at the very end, she says, but I'm going to do what a lot of other sexual assault survivors are going to do in November, which is vote for a man that I believe sexually assaulted Tara Reid, um, a man that, I, that we don't deserve to have as president, but I'm going to do it anyway because no one deserves another four years of Donald Trump. So I'm going to vote for some. I'm a sexual assault survivor. I believe that this guy did this, but I'm going to vote for him anyway because Trump is worse. Because Trump is worse. Uh, another example, uh, Business Insider. This one is really crazy. Uh, interviewed the uh, one of the neighbors that Tara Reid had back in the like mid-90s. A woman named Linda Lacasse. Lacasse? I don't know how to pronounce her last name. And she says, yeah, Tara Reid told me about this. I remember she was devastated. I remember how hard it was for her. I remember how destabilizing for her life it was. And she says, yeah, I... I yeah, I believe this happened. Totally. Um, I know this is true. And then at the end she says, but I'm still gonna, she goes, you know, it sucks because I'm still going to vote for Joe Biden because I'm a good Democrat. Like I know this person, I believe their story, but I'm still going to vote for Joe Biden. Why? Because Trump is worse because Trump is worse. Um, there is another uh, lawyer who is a very mainstream Democrat lawyer, she actually represented Harvey Weinstein, go figure, who tweeted out this tweet that went viral just a few days ago, and it said, 
Like, Tara Reid, I believe you. I'm sorry this happened. You're not looking for money. You're a Democrat. It doesn't seem like you have any reason to lie about this. But I'm still going to vote for Joe Biden because we have to beat Donald Trump because Trump is worse. Uh, that, that tweet went totally viral. Uh, and so on and so forth. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Yesterday, there was a piece written by a mainstream uh, journalist. It was one of the founders of Politico. And I think he used to be on the New York Times uh, Washington uh, team that covered all the politics in Washington. And he had a piece uh, responding to uh, what was happening. Uh, there was another New York Times piece that said, we need to take these allegations seriously. So kudos for uh, them printing that. And then he responded and he said, I don't want an investigation of Joe Biden. I want a coronation of Joe Biden. And he just straight up said, if we investigate, there's a good chance they might find something. And we can't risk that because Joe Biden's our only shot at beating Donald Trump. So I don't want to investigate him because I don't want him to get caught if he did something wrong. I want him to be coronated because Trump is worse. Because Trump is worse. And then the one today that uh, just, I'm like, okay, this is, this is it. I, what's, there's nothing worth fighting for if this is happening. There is another, there's a tweet. Uh, so there's this woman, she's an author and a lawyer. And she was retweeting um, one of the latest polls. And the poll said that, showed that Joe Biden was um, gaining, like more, he was, had a bigger lead on Donald Trump. So his lead was growing. And also that there was a plurality of the people they polled who believed Tara Reid. So the same poll that showed that he was gaining in momentum also showed an increase in people. It was like over 30% believed that he um, was guilty of sexual assault. And what this lawyer, an author, tweeted out was, you know, people were already doing, it looks like they're doing what I advised. And so she said, I advise people to believe Reed, vote Biden, because Trump equals death. And then you go to her, um, if you go to her Twitter page, she's the author of a book that's coming out on, I believe, June 1st, and it's called Reckoning. Uh, I did write this down. Reckoning, the epic battle against sexual abuse and harassment. So she's a lawyer who wrote a book about the reckoning of people who are committing sexual abuse and harassment in the workplace and how they're getting, their reckoning is coming. And she's also advocating that people believe a victim and vote for her uh, attacker or whatever you want to call it because Trump equals death, because Trump is worse. So she wrote a book in defense of, of sexual assault survivors and is advocating that, that people believe Tara Reid and vote for Joe Biden. Why? Because Trump is worse. Okay. No. 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 That is crazy, 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 okay? You don't get to simultaneously, so back to the Huffington Post article, where they said, this is the only morally defensible thing to do is to say, I believe Tara Reid, and also, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, and I'm going to justify that with morals. You don't get to do that. You, can, you don't get to do that and actually have a functioning moral compass, okay? You can say, I don't care 
You can say it doesn't matter because winning's more important, and at least be honest about it and still salvage some of your humanity. But you don't get to say it doesn't matter. I believe that he did this, and Trump is worse. Trump is worse. You can't do that. Now, here's the part that I, well, there's a few things, okay, that I don't get is so all of those things that I just listed. Why are what I'm really, really scared by? Well, there's a lot, but is that there's not for every single one of those, there isn't a thousand other op eds saying this is morally impoverished bullcrap. Why are people writing this? This is insane. This is insane. Like, there's virtually no criticisms, and all of them are coming from the right. Like, there is pieces that are written on like National Review criticizing this stuff. But there's no one on the left calling that out for what it is, which is, that's morally bankrupt. It's morally bankrupt. So I'll tell you two things, all right? So first, just practically, just practically, okay? Just practically. Let me propose, let me propose a different option for the Democrats on a practical, practical level, okay? And that is, don't do this, don't ignore and dismiss, don't do this, because that's, that's cancer, that's absolute cancer. Um, do this other thing, okay? Dump Biden. Dump Joe Biden. Do you know it's May? It's the beginning of May. Do you know when candidates are usually actually officially chosen? At the convention. At the convention. I think last year, that was at the end of July. July, not last year, last election. In July. Now, the, the convention has now been moved, I think, to August. All right? You have time to do something principled. I'm just astounded, astounded by the number of people that are saying, well, just ignore it or dismiss it, or eh, it doesn't matter. Like Joe Biden's our last best hope. Are you freaking kidding me? You really think that Joe Biden is your last best hope? Like you could get a different candidate, okay? Like you could also just investigate it. Like say, okay, I'm not gonna ignore and dismiss it. I don't know if it happened. But let's get all the information out there and find out. Let's find out together. And we can put it to bed. Like, we can say no. This is how we know it's not true. And I'm going to support him. Or, I don't know. I'm not sure we're ever going to know. And I'm not comfortable having him as our candidate. Also, the corpse who's in, like, late-stage dementia. So, let's get rid of him while we still have some time to salvage our dignity and humanity here. It's only May, guys. You could get a different candidate. By the way, you actually had a decent amount of candidates that you completely rejected because of intersectionality. People like Amy Klobuchar, it's a good candidate. Tulsi Gabbard, it's a good candidate. You had people you totally rejected because you bought into this intersectional toxic ideology. That's on you for doing that, but you don't have to keep doubling down on it, all right? Joe Biden is not your last best hope, okay? He's just not. You could still do something principled and salvage your humanity and not keep smashing your moral compass, all right? So practically, that's what I would do. I would say, let's get it out there. Let's investigate. Let's figure it out. You know, release those records from the University of Delaware. You know, any, like anything that could clear him, man. Like, that's fine. Like, like I said, I don't know if this is true or not. I'm inherently skeptical of any time allegations like this come out at this type of moment. Like, the dude was vice president for eight years. Like, you'd think that she would have said something then. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm actually more likely to say that this probably didn't happen 
but we still have we have to still look at it as part of due process is actually looking into it and actually having a process of vetting the claims so you could do that or you could say i don't know we're not going to put the work in to find out let's just get a candidate that isn't 100 years old falling apart mentally and also might have molested a staff member back in the 90s like maybe let's do that because again it's may the election isn't for six months six months okay you have plenty of time to pick a new candidate all right so that's what i would do practically all right just practically because this crap the, the same type of toxic ideology that's kept them from having a decent candidate in the first place is the same thing that's completely alienated voters like me, voters like Dave Rubin or Bridget Phetasy or Eric Weinstein. Like, there's lots of people who are on the left and are like, this is crazy. Um, what has happened? Okay. So that's just what I think on a practical level. That's a way to do something principled and not completely sell your soul to Satan um, by saying, eh, you know, I don't care if he did it or not. In fact, actually, I think he probably did, but I just hate the president that much. Like, I can't imagine, by the way, I just can't imagine having that much hatred for a politician. Like, there's a lot of politicians I don't like. Like, there's a lot. But I would never, ever, ever hold this view about any of their opponents. I would, like, I don't like Adam Schiff at all. I think Adam Schiff is a total snake. But I don't hate him. Especially, I don't hate him to the degree that I would say... If there was someone running against them that I believed was a molester, then I would say, yeah, I think we should still vote for the molester over Adam Schiff. Like, I don't, I can't imagine having that. Um, and so that leads me to the second point is that we, like, I can't do anything about the completely morally impoverished craziness that's coming out of Huffington Post or NBC or that's just generally on the dumpster fire that is Twitter. I can't do anything about that, okay? I'm just a dude. Just some guy standing in my freaking bathroom in front of this whiteboard full of gibberish next to a drippy faucet. Like, I'm just a regular guy. But th the thing is, is it's ultimately on us. It's on me. It's on you. It's on other regular people to say no to this, to reject this. The only reason why, pe like, Huffington Post and others who put that crap out there feel empowered to do so is because we let them. We give them permission to do that to stoke the fires of division in our country. Because what are you saying if you're if you're putting this out there? What are you saying if you're that blinded by hatred for this man? Like what like you know there's people that vote for him, right? Like I'm not some maga dude, but I know people that support Donald Trump. And like do you know what it's like for those people to know that there are others who have that much hatred for them? Like, it's crazy. It's a blinding hatred. And that exists on the right, too. There are people on the right who are like, oh, got to silence those libby, libtard, communists. Da, da, da. Like, there's vitriol aplenty, okay? But my point is, is that us, regular people, we have to nut up and say no to this crap. We have to. It has to stop. If we want to have a functioning society where we can even just agree to disagree, You've got to stop demonizing people this much, this much, right or left. I don't give a damn about what side you're on or who you're talking about or who you're talking to. We have to be better. We have to say no to this morally bankrupt crap. We have to quit accepting this type of zero sum, the means justify the ends 
type of ideology that says, well, I don't care. I don't care. We just have to win. Or at least be honest about it if that's your perspective. But I'd rather us just reject it. I'd rather us regular people have the courage to say no every single time, whether it was a politician or whether it's a journalist or whether it's a friend who is saying something like that to, to gently, okay, I'm not saying to stoop down to that, but gently saying, no, do you know what you're saying? No. Like, why would you say something like that? Like, we have to reject it. That's the only way. It's the only way we can make any changes. And whenever I say having a functioning society, I mean just being able to live alongside people we disagree with. Again, I'm not talking about us agreeing on everything, okay? We, uh, dissent is fundamental, fundamental to the founding of this country. That's a normal thing. But at the end of the day, we didn't view each other as these evil enemies, okay? So we have to change the paradigm. We have to reject the most over-the-top, vitriolic, hateful language about people. The president doesn't care if you live or die. Imagine if Fox News ran that banner about President Obama back in 2010. Barack Obama doesn't care if you live or die. And all of the hate they would get for that, justifiably, by the way, that it would be deserved for stoking divisive rhetoric. Like, over-the-top and unnecessarily inflammatory rhetoric. Like, they would be totally raked over the coals, understandably for that. That's what Huffington Post did today, okay? We have to reject all of that. I don't care if it's if some mainstream outlet on the right does that. Say no. If you're on the right, say no. No, that's crap. I'm not going to consume it if that's what you're going to put out there. And if you're on the left and you see that crap coming from HuffPo or from CNN or MSNBC or whatever, say no. I'm not going to... I'm not going to do that, okay? Because that's my fellow countrymen you're talking about, okay? I want to live in the same country as people that I disagree with. I want to be able to have a functioning society. I don't want to have to walk around and guess, oh, is that a person who votes Democrat or Republican? Oh, I'm not going to talk to them. In fact, I might throw rocks at them. Like, that should not be the country we live in. But that's where we're going if we don't reject this over-the-top, divisive, hateful, like, milieu of cultural interaction that we're being force-fed and accepting and encouraging as a general population, okay? So that's it, all right? I'll put links to everything I'm talking about, but that's that's my take on this. Again, I don't know if Joe Biden did this or not. I think we should find out. Let's clear his name if he didn't, and let's get a different freaking candidate while it's still early if he did, okay? Just be principled. It's, it doesn't count if you're only principled when it's convenient, okay? You have to be principled even if it's, when it's inconvenient. And you don't, you don't get to stand on some supposed moral high ground and spew unprincipled, immoral nonsense, okay? Right or left, I don't care. All right, let's start respecting each other, extending grace, charity, treating each other like human beings. Because I, I don't know. I don't know what to do otherwise. I think we're screwed otherwise if we don't. Anyway, uh, that's all I have the energy for. If you, <laughs> if this is hey, if this is the kind of thing you're into, follow me on Twitter at my mundane mind or on YouTube that's at Return to Reason, Spotify Return to Reason. I have a website uh, on locals.com. It's Return to Reason.locals.com. I'll put a link for that. Um, and I have written pieces on Medium as well and ThinkSpot. So. I appreciate you watching. Please follow me on any of that stuff. And if you have any feedback, if you think I'm being ridiculous, if you think I'm being crazy, if you think I'm being hypocritical or something, something I missed, please let me know. I'm always open to good faith 
cr critiques and conversations. Like I want to be able to do that. I think that's what we have to do. Um, so please just let me know in the comments. I'm always open for conversation, but we really are all in this together. It's not just Twitter and it's not just Facebook and it's not just Fox News or NPR. Like we are, and I want, we have to remember that. We have to go back to a place where we're not just demonizing each other, guys. Like I'm really worried that that's where we're going and we have to stop it. It's up to us, all right? It's not gonna be the politicians. It's not gonna be the news media. It's not gonna be the academics, it's us. We have to do that, all right? By just choosing a better way. Um, yeah, all right, that's it. I'll check you guys later, peace.